Hey guys, I'm Jackie Brubaker, your host of That Girl, the podcast. I'm an author, performer, two-time Emmy Award winner, human relationship specialist, and founder of the wellness website, loveyouevenmore.com. Each week, I bring on inspiring people and experts in their field to have powerful, motivational, and enlightened conversations about relationships, self-development, and how you can live your most authentic life. Follow us for daily updates on myself and the podcast at That Girl the Podcast and at Jackie Brubaker on Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and our Patreon page. While you're at it, make sure to check out my new wellness website, loveyouevenmore.com. If you're wanting to dig into developing more self-worth, be healthier about relationships, and learn how to date smarter, go to loveyouevenmore.com and follow us on Instagram at loveyouevenmore. Welcome, Mary Salvi, to That Girl, the podcast. Today, we are going to talk about codependency, amongst a few other things. Mary, it's always my favorite topic. Um, Barry is a love and relationship expert. He's also a spiritual advisor. Uh, we're going to talk about that as well. But we're really going to get into codependency, what that looks like, what it is, and how to try to be less codependent in our relationship. So, very welcome. I always like to let people give a little bit of an intro uh, on themselves, even though I gave you a little bit of an intro. I feel that they can always do a better job than I can. So please <laughs> take the mic. <laughs> okay, grab the mic. <laughs> um, so yes, I, I mean, love and relationship is my passion. It's my work. It's my focus. I've got a, a book on Amazon that's been a bestseller that's done really well called 50 Ways to Love Your Lover. Um, but I mean, I've been on my own path spiritually and personal growth-wise for the 30-something years. But my relationships didn't always match the quality of stuff I'd learned, which is one of the things I had to talk about and do my work. I would have great relationships, then they fall apart because I didn't realize there was stuff in there that even though I'd done all this personal work, I started issues in relationship, which is one of the challenges. Uh, um, and so I've been really passionate about masculine and feminine because that was the one piece that changed my life and all my relationships. Mm-hmm. And actually, that's what put me in this path. One of my um, descriptors is I talk about I'm a passionate champion for the divine feminine. Because starting to do this work with masculine and feminine polarity, my first exposure to the truly authentic masculine inside of me and the truly authentic feminine all the women was a deep reverence for what the feminine energy is. And I want to support that and serve that on the planet. It's my, it's my calling in life, yeah. so to speak. Well, that's amazing. That's an amazing colleague, especially as a man trying to honor the divine feminine. That is a term that has been starting to get a lot more um notice and I keep seeing it a lot, which is great because I've been very interested in sort of studying the masculine feminine for a really, really long time, at least 10 years. And I do think that it can be misconstrued and uh, thought of differently. So let's actually talk about that really quickly because that is such an important thing. Um, Explain what your, um, your views and opinions of like the divine feminine are and then the divine masculine, because that's, that's a thing too. Yeah, indeed. It's, 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 it's the yin and yang of, of the polarity. And I talk about polarity because, like any other thing, there's a spectrum. Like you, like we, we reside somewhere on that spectrum between masculine and feminine that is independent of our gender and independent of our sexual preference, just to be mm-hmm. transparent. Because masculine and feminine polarity is what creates attraction, whether you're heterosexual or homosexual or gay, whatever that is. Right. And w- because we carry it all inside ourselves and we do move 
along that spectrum during the day. So if you're driving, you're generally towards the masculine side of the spectrum because it's directional, it's focused, it's like one direction. Mm-hmm. But if you're juggling lots of things or if you're taking care of like a baby or do something that's more energy, that's movement energy, that's more feminine, so to speak. Right. So right. it isn't tied to being male or female or whatever that is. Um, but for me, what really transformed and the quick story was um, my, my last big bad breakup <laughs> there's P. always one there's always a big bad breakup <laughs> well the thing was it was it was it wasn't the work well it wasn't actually the worst but it was the third in a row so it was the cumulative energy of the other two that made it even worse oh interesting because she basically called me out the other two breakups happened and i didn't know why looking back okay. i now see why but i wasn't they didn't explicitly tell me the third one was kind enough to lambast me with what was wrong <laughs> what did she say <laughs> She said that she wanted me to be the real man like her grandfather was. Mm. Um, and was as a man, that must have felt really good. <laughs> it was really depleting. But the funny, I mean, the funny thing is, I met her when she was going through a divorce. And her soon-to-be ex-husband, he and I become good friends. And he and I were very similar. Surprise, surprise, surprise. Uh-huh. So, <laughs> so she was attracting a man like her ex-husband. I yeah. wonder what was going on. Mm. But the thing is, it was so overt because her, her physical type, she was very petite, short hair, she was very, very boyish, energetic, um, the way she looked, which is kind of funny. I don't know what was attracting me to her. Probably karmic energy or something. Sure. I mean, the sex was amazing too, but but it's like but she ran the show through the whole relationship. Yeah. Because when we got together, she asked me out. I mean, every indication was so like big signs and I was ignoring everything. I was like, this is so cool. Well, I'm not minding asked out. It's wonderful. Right, right. It's equal now. Like we'll yeah. do, yeah, we'll both do it. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But the truth was, is that in total self-transparency, um, I got really lazy in the relationship. I didn't take charge. I didn't lead or any of that stuff because, because yeah. she one, one, she was running it so well. I was like, I don't have to do anything. Secondly, she didn't really provide much room for me to do it without me fighting her for yeah. it. Yeah. And a lot of women have this issue because they get so much in the masculine. They don't know how to disengage comfortably. So when a man shows up, is in, who's more of a masculine man, a masculine engine than she has, mm-hmm. it wants to be a struggle for the leadership. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that happened for me. So after we broke up and I was going through the, the pit of like, why me? What did I do wrong with this stuff that was going on for me? Yeah. Um, and, and I knew enough stuff to go, I know this stuff, but I'm still missing the point. What's going, what am I missing? Yeah. I, it's about three months later, I was coming out of my spiritual center and I bumped into this beautiful blonde woman I'd never met before. And beautiful women were tongue-tying me usually. Uh-huh. But I had to talk to her. I just, there was like a neon sign overhead saying, talk to this woman because she was glowing. She was blonde, blue-eyed, white dress, yeah. tan. I mean, absolutely picture of like California beautiful woman. Yeah. So I went up to her and I then clumsily, because that's what I could do at the time, was say, um, hi, um, you're glowing. Where have you been? Something like that. <laughs> Literally, that's that silly, because that's what was true for me. Yeah. Thankfully, she burst out laughing and started talking. But she just got back from a retreat where she'd been doing work with the masculine feminine energy, which was the first time I actually heard it. Okay. I didn't know what it was at that point, because I just thought what my ex-girlfriend at that point was asking was to be macho. And I absolutely deplored what macho meant to me because mm-hmm. it's so destructive and it's mm-hmm. so selfish and not selfish in a healthy way, selfish and destructive way. So when I went to this retreat, there was a, the teachers whom I love dearly, um, Satyan and Suzanne Raja out of, out of Vancouver, um, company called Warrior Sage. They were doing a training based on David Data's work. I also started with since David Data is one of the, um, what were the things? Pillars of the masculine and feminine conversation. I also started with Alison Armstrong, John Gray, all these teachers who talk about this stuff, which I love. Yeah, right. And basically what I discovered was I had been abdicating my role as a masculine man. Mm. But as soon as I did that, it's like my life changed internally because 
I'd always been questing for something out there. I mean, we get to codependency soon. Right. But I've been looking out there for that thing that would make me feel okay. And I knew that I couldn't be the macho man because it was my dad's role. Mm. And I rebelled against that when I was a kid. But the only other choice I had in my head, because there were two choices, macho, guy, macho man, like the bad, bad guy right. and the nice guy. Yeah. And I've been playing nice guy for 20 plus years at this point. No more yeah. than that. And what was nice guy? Like explain nice guy. What nice that guy like? is, is like very, is generally, and I'm, I'm being, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but being very polite, overtly, not looking for challenge, always trying to keep the peace. Mm-hmm. Um, always wants to be accepted, mm-hmm. but also doesn't want to risk being outspoken. Mm-hmm. And it comes to the relationships. It's almost like the, I guess the term they use is milk toast. It's that very bland and really not the very dynamic energy relationship. Right. Yeah. And I did that myself. I'm not proud of that experience, but I did that. That's okay. You were coming from a place of different childhood experiences and you found that that was yeah. a safe place. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and you know, of course, just to exa- um, embellish that, right? I'm always exaggerated, but I was bullied in high school with other boys because I didn't stand up and, and, and tough it out. Yeah. Being tough put me in that mindset, being macho, and I couldn't do that. Sure. So I ended up taking, taking the blows from them, so to speak, which really didn't help. Mm-hmm. But the thing was, what it did help me do, though, was find safety amongst the girls. Right. And in fact, that's what's really been what's my one thing through my whole life is always had a closest with women, not sexually speaking, but as friends, mm-hmm. which, which actually made the nice guy easier. Because being the nice right. guy, women are like, oh, we can trust him because he's not going to threaten us. He's not going to yeah. be coming on to us. He's all that stuff. Right. It also made my relationships kind of weak as well, just to be transparent. Sure. Um, so anyway, so in the process of this weekend event is what started it. We went through practices. We do dialogue and, and practices in the room. Then we break away to the men in one room, women in another, and deep into masculine, feminine, energetic practices. So we come back stronger and deeper as we came back. And by the end of the weekend, on the last break, we came in the room. Instead of sitting on the floor facing the stage, we stood in a line facing each other, like 50 men, 50 women. And we, at this point, were really getting strong in, in brotherhood and solidarity and holding in a masculine heart which was a new expression for me. Yeah. I've done a lot of heart work, but really what the masculine work for me is adding a strong spine to that. Okay. The difference between me, macho and masculine, macho is kind of neck up. It's ego-driven, controlling, so, so self-centered. It's like my way, the highway, nobody else wins, unless I win first. Right. Whereas the masculine is a strong spine, which is direction, clarity, and purpose with an open heart for compassion and caring. Mm-hmm. So it's not a steamroller. It's, a, it's an effective direction to go in but it's in service to the world. It's like having a calling greater than my own mm. success, so to speak. That is a beautiful way of putting it. And that makes so much sense. Like women listen to him. This is so big. And men <laughs> listen to him because, oh gosh, I have so much to say, but I want to have you keep going. But this is so important. A masculine man, a divinely masculine man is compassionate, does have a heart, does care, is not trying to steamroll. That's a perfect way of putting it, but is also very strong in their own convictions and doesn't sway. It's just like, we are leading. And also I think a lot of women get really freaked out by the word leader. Like, I don't want my husband to be a leader. Like we should lead together. Like, well then where are you going to (laughs) go? Like, (laughs) it's just, it's too much. But like, you know, at different times, like you have to be more in your masculine or your feminine, but to be as a man in your divine masculine, again, you're being open, but you are definitely sure of yourself, which yes, we'll talk more about. So keep going. Yes. Oh, I love it. I love <laughs> so it. Anyway, so anyway, so we're standing facing each other. The men are in a masculine, women are the feminine. And I, and we, and we as men, at least I speak for myself, we were very rock solid in who we are because we knew at this point what it felt like. We had viscerally 
embodied that feeling through the whole weekend. And what's interesting is the women across from me weren't doing that, of course. They were embodying their feminine. Mm. And when I looked across the room at the other women, probably 10 feet, you know, it was like 10 feet across, but it could have been miles. It was such a, a, such a overt difference. Mm-hmm. I saw this wall of femininity facing me. And even though I was standing strong in my, I was braced strong in my heart, in my depths, in my feet, in the, into the earth, I was on my knees in worship at the same time because I saw the radiance, the light, the feminine just overwhelm me in such a beautiful way. And it was like inside something switch clicked on was that I'm dedicated to that energy ever since. That's, that's the feminine energy for me. Right. And that's one reason why I'm so clear about my work. But also I love women when they own their femininity. Yeah. That's a different energy because most women have not necessarily glimpsed that or don't think about that because the way it worked, because mm-hmm. the world doesn't support it very well yet. No, it does not. It has been forcing us to let that go. Yeah. So I love that visual too, of just like looking at this wall of femininity and just wanting to be on my knees to, to worship it, to honor it. <clears throat> because I think in my idea of this, <clears throat> excuse me, is if you are a masculine enough man and you know your convictions, but you also see the beauty of what this goddess energy is, right? This like divinely feminine energy. <clears throat> Sorry, hold on. Let me get this. Let me get this. I'm so upset. Um, but then in the same token, the divine feminine looks at the divine masculine and thinks, I feel safe. You will make me feel secure. My heart can rest in your hands. And it's not about, oh, you can take care of me financially. It's you can take care of my heart and I can feel vulnerable vulnerable enough to give it to you and vice versa. It's just an honoring of each other in a very balanced way, but in very different ways. Like in, yes, go, go. A couple of things I want to add just to illustrate that. Um, one of the things I learned from one of my teachers, Alison Armstrong, who I love, I'm actually in one of her programs right now, that is to this next level. She keeps, she keeps, one other thing I love about Alison, she's constantly learning new things and adding new things to her curriculum, which I love. Keeps me going as well. Mm-hmm. But she talks about um, for, a mas- for a truly masculine man, with, although she calls it human, human animal versus human spirit, but the way that I like she explains it is that when a woman gets upset, there's, I, I've actually affirmed it now, there's three ways the man can do it wrong. When a woman gets upset, like a woman's upset and her boyfriend or her partner can do three things definitely that don't work. One of which is to run away when she's upset. Two is to try and fix it mm-hmm. without permission. Permission's key. And three is to um, almost argue over the top to dominate her, to push her down. Mm-hmm. Actually, fourth one is to deny it. Mm-hmm. And the thing is that what she says is that the job for, for us, when a woman's truly upset, is to imagine that we are holding a bucket that she's throwing up into. Now, this yeah. visual was so powerful for me because I viscerally got it. Yeah. If we try to fix it, resolve it, it's like trying to pour it back in again. Oh, wow. When a woman is, being, is venting and upset, it's almost like she's, attempt, she's ex, uh, excavating her body of all that toxicity. Mm-hmm. And our job is not to fix that. Our job is to let it come through, but also not to get out of the way, but to hold the space so she can do it safely. Again, like you yeah. said, being the safe container. Yeah. And so that piece was such a game changer for me because I never grew up with that understanding because I, I come from a family where we didn't argue. So arguments meant oh. the end of a relationship, in my experience, for a long time. Mm-hmm. That's another piece about upbringing as well. But the thing was, that was a big, deep learning. The second piece I want to quickly jump into because this thing that comes up a lot in terms is toxic masculinity mm. doesn't fit for me. There's no such thing as toxic masculinity. Toxic machoism is what people are really talking about. Yeah. 
because the toxicity is in that egoic, my way, the highway screwed up society. Yeah. Masculinity as itself is never toxic because it is about service and a purpose-driven, not selfish energy. Oh, I love so, that. Yeah. That's great. That's so, that's so great. And that's such a, I'm so glad you're talking about this because that is such a good baseline for going into codependency because mm-hmm. I think so many people have no idea they're codependent. They just think, oh, this is the way love works or this is relationship or these are family dynamics. This is just the way family works. And it's not, that's not true. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, and also, you know, you can go to the extreme too, where you're like, well, I'm going to put up all of these boundaries and like, they're not the right boundaries to be setting. You're just trying to feel some kind of power. You're like, I've heard this trendy word boundary and I heard it's just to say no. So I'm just going to say no. And if that's not helpful. So <laughs> why don't you explain <laughs> codependency in regards to the divine masculine and feminine? I'm just, this is the best conversation. I'm so happy to talk to you. <laughs> so I'm enjoying it too. Thank you for inviting me. Um, the, 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 the challenge is, that for many women, especially, they have been trained not to trust men. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because they're scary and they can kill us. Absolutely. <laughs> tr- exactly that. And on top of that, a lot of women have got their wiring set up um, because of the way the world is set up for us as people. The way I describe it is the business world was created by men for men and women have been trying to fit in ever since. So many women have been in trained to be more male energy focused how to do their work. Yeah which is what is their ability to take care of themselves and protect themselves and support themselves. And when they get into a relationship, they want a man's going to take it away from them. So of course they don't trust that. Yeah. And so the masculine focus, and by the way, the business model isn't created for masculinity either. It's it's, it's actually created for machoism. It's like ego driven competition, win, you know, I win, you lose. It's not win, win, which is why I think there has to, there will be, I want to say there has to be, there will be a paradigm shift at some point where there'll be an evolution for both men and women to own masculine and feminine energies in the business world as well. I We're doing so. it in the private world more, but it's the business world that has the shift. So the challenge, and I've had the experience that's been interesting around, when I've been around women who are either in their mask, in their, I'll say macho more than masculine, because it's not masculine energy, it's, it's again, back, they're training a copy of the men. And I said, my last relationship, bad breakup was with a woman who basically asked me out. She led the way. She did the male thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, her hair, even her hair was short. It's like, you know, so overtly she was like being male in her energetic. Mm-hmm. But maybe it's because she was Scorpio. I was a Pisces. There was a lot of, there was a lot of energy there. Oh, I'm, we had the great, I'm, a, I'm a Pisces. <laughs> so there's a lot oh, of chemistry there. Yeah. 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 I mean, I'm not going to go into that part. There's enough conversation entirely. However. We can have that conversation another time, bro. <laughs> <laughs> But the recognition that that we have a different way of being in relationship and in every common, every um, relationship, not just romantic, but every relationship, how women can still be feminine in relationship, men can be masculine in relationship, which is an evolution for both of us. And again, oh, let me back up one quick second. These terms I'm using are very generalized. So I'm saying men and women as masculine and feminine interchangeably, but there are women who are naturally more masculine and the men who are naturally more feminine as well, just to be mm-hmm. clear. It's not saying everybody is right, generalized. Right. So just get on the table because, you know, male and female are types of gender, whereas masculine and feminine are energetic types. So just be clear what the difference is. And one of the things with codependency is that we forget that role. So we're trying to compete for the same space on the table and we're both trying to be in the leadership role and it's not healthy. Mm -hmm. 
And the challenge of that also, and this is the other part, is that masculine on its own is complete, and so is feminine on its own, on its own is complete. But because most people don't understand either one of those, they feel like they're lacking something, yeah. almost innately. So looking for somebody else or something else to fill them up because they think they're incomplete. And to quote Jerry Maguire, my favorite movie for this point, is when he says, you complete me, it's the most succinct way of saying, I'm codependent, how about you? Right. There is. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it is the most com- codependency movie. Uh, yes. Yes. <laughs> And the thing is, in that movie, it still looks like, you know, strong leadership and everything else, except when it gets to the relationship. And like in my last relationship, you know, she came up and asked me out because I was in leadership roles. She thought I was being masculine. I wasn't because I never a clue what it was. Mm. And she took over that space right away. And had I been in my masculine, first of all, I would have asked her out first. I would have taken the lead, not to be like macho, but to be like, no, the masculine energy leads. Yeah. And the feminine energy doesn't follow blindly. No, far from it. Mm-hmm. The feminine energy dances with the masculine energy. That's the wonderful thing about the feminine. It's an energy that's such creativity. Like the, like the, um, they say, they say that like, you know, men focus on the, on the destination, women focus on the journey. Mm-hmm. That's actually true in a way because masculine are goal oriented. So when you mm-hmm. know, where are we going? Okay. How do we get, let me get there. The feminine's like, well, look at everything along the journey, what we can explore, what we can play with and have fun with. Yeah. It's something the feminine is gifted with because the feminine energy is more, as Alice and Armstrong pulls it, like diffuse awareness to be able to see many things at once. Mm-hmm. Whereas the masculine is oblivious to everything except the one thing they're focusing on. That's so true. They're so one track minded. Yeah. Which and, is healthy for us. Right. And so <laughs> just, uh, just to like, you know, reiterate what you just said, basically when like the feminine is able to play and to like feel all of the feelings, right. Just be like enjoying life, the pleasure of it. We only feel that way with a partner because they give us the strength. Not that we need the strength. It's not that it's that they're leading and we feel safe to let them lead. And then we can just feel all of the feelings and do all the fun. But because women are so inherently pushed to be masculine now, we get scared. We're like, Oh no, 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 no. Where are you taking me? Like this feels crazy yeah. and I need to be in control and I don't trust anybody because all of these guys let me down, which is a whole series of issues <laughs> going on with dating right now. But you know, I mean, that's just too much for one episode. There won't be many episodes with Barry. I just want you to say that right now. Okay. <laughs> don't worry. That's good good work. Glad. See, I'm taking the masculine role. We are leading. <laughs> you are coming to your podcast. You get to choose. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Then I am being very, very feminine. But that is what what's up. That is so what's happening with women when they feel safe, they will go because it's again, you're not following blindly. You're always like checking in. Like, are they living up to what they need to be living up to? Are they leading correctly? Are they, you know, appreciating me, valuing me? You know, are they nurturing, um, not nurturing, but are they just taking care of you? And in a mental, emotional, and physical way, are you safe? Because again, it always comes right back to, you know, I've had conversations with um, men my own age where they're just kind of like, confused why you would feel unsafe walking down the street at night by yourself. It's like, yeah, because you could be raped or killed or both. Like that is what we were raised to know. And it happens all the time because most men are animals. (laughs) So we're just scared. So then you get us into a relationship with, you know, a stranger. It's like, yeah, I'm going to be a little bit like, "Eh, show me, show me, show me, show me. Prove trust to me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's the, thing, the biggest thing, because the masculine is about creating safe spaces. We take risks, but not, not for other people. We take risks for ourselves. 
Mm. So the masculine, when it truly is, and, and it's interesting because back to the codependency piece for a moment, one of the things I went through for many years was I was so clear that my relationship was my priority. I put her first no matter what, which is actually wrong. It's incorrect. Mm. Because, and the way I've described it, one of my other teachers, David Data, has a book out called The Way, the way of the Superior Man. And chapter seven, because I remember the chapter vividly, talks about how a, mass, a man's purpose must come before his relationship. Mm. And I never had a purpose before. I, I, I've been through six, seven careers at this point and didn't know why I was here. Why I do the work I do is because it's my calling, it's my heart's work. And the reality is that's, that's what I would do. And ideally, I make all my money doing it, but if not, I'll do something else to make money, but this is still my purpose. Because yeah. the other thing is purpose is not always about career. Yes. Well, for me, it is. It also means that relationship, people say, well, how can they put relationship second? You don't put relationship second. It's like, no, what it does, it takes the pressure of purpose off the relationship. So relationship be free on its own. I purposely, I personally, though, because of my spiritual path, say that relationship comes third in the sense because my relationship to spirit comes first before everything else. Mm-hmm. Then, then relationship to the world, which is purpose, and then relationship to my partner so that all those other things can be taken care of so I can be fully dedicated to my partner in that space. Right. It can be balanced. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Uh, so agreed. And I think people are so guilty of putting their relationship first and forgetting about their career, forgetting about their hobbies, forgetting about their friends and their family. And they're just like, I'm just in love and I'm on this chemical cocktail and it's just amazing. <laughs> and then months later they wake up and they're like, oh, it's gotten kind of like boring in my relationship. What are the rest of my life? And yeah. it's like a catch up game and trying to balance. But I mean, I, sometimes I really just feel like this is an age thing, you know, like when you're young, <laughs> it's really difficult to ca- to grasp this stuff. So for the young people oh. listening, I hope you are grasping it because it's important stuff. <laughs> if I learned this 20 years before, I'll be so much happier. But of course, then yeah. I wouldn't have actually known what to do with it. So mm-hmm. sometimes this work has to work with maturity because then you go, okay, I made no mistakes. I'm going to change now. So most people when they're younger don't think they made any mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> I certainly thought I didn't make a lot of mistakes, but then I did. Um, well, okay. Welcome to the human race. <laughs> right. Seriously. Oh, gosh. Um, so let's talk about codependency. And when I think of it, I always think of like filling each other's cup, right? You know, your cup is already empty. You're looking for someone to fill it. And then you do. And then it just becomes... It can become very, very toxic. So yes. <laughs> let's talk about that. How does codependency start? Um, well, it usually starts before we're born because usually our parents set the example for us, to mm-hmm. be totally clear. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in my work and in my studies, um, a book I love referring to is Bruce Lipton's book called The Biology of Belief. And he's about, he talks about epigenetics. He's a really wonderful speaker. I've seen him speak a few times. A wonderful guy. Very funny as well. But he talks about how our formative years from like zero to seven years old, mm. we, first of all, we don't come in with user manuals. There's no technical how-to guide for parents how to raise a child. You know, there weren't any manuals like that. Even, mm. you know, Dr. Spock's work was not ideally like given to everybody. Yeah. So the first zero, from when born until the first six, seven years of life, we look at everything around us as a learning opportunity. Mm. We're sponges, like clean slates, taking everything around us in, and especially the parents, the people who care give for us, our parents usually, or grandparents mm-hmm. or siblings. Mm-hmm. And we basically copy them as learning how to do things. You know, that's how we learn. You watch babies learn how to do things by watching their parents. Mm-hmm. That's how they learn to walk them because they just, they're, they're picking up ideas and following that. So most of our parents were codependent because of the way they were raised. It's like generational patterns. And right. what that means is that, I mean, go back two or three generations, 
all women were kept because the man was the breadwinner. I mean, it was, I think it was 1971 was the first time women had, had credit cards. Yeah. Wasn't crazy. that long ago? Yeah. No, it was not. <laughs> but that's the thing is, I mean, my mother's generation, you know, she didn't learn to drive. She didn't have her own bank account. They had a shared one. My dad's name was on everything. Mm-hmm. That's the way it was back then. Yeah. You know? And so the codependency was built into this way. It was baked into the society, the way that society functioned. Right. And the trouble with codependency is it's, it's very, um, I want to say subversive, maybe the wrong word, but it's very, in, invest, it's like it's in through everything. Yeah. You know, visually, it's like saying put relationship first. It's like the challenge point relationship first is that you can't see past your partner's face. Like two people come together and you can't see anything besides the other person because you're, you're nose to nose. You can't see mm. anything. Truly evolved relationship, which is which is what I would term interdependent, which is the next level beyond, is where both people are side by side, facing the same direction and walking together. Mm-hmm. But most of us don't do that. Yeah. And like I said, with for men, for men who are developing the masculine, putting purpose before relationship, first of all, frees us up from putting everything on top of our partner, which makes that very codependent. Mm-hmm. Instead, we get to be free and living our life, and a partner joins us in that journey, which is wonderful. But codependency is is um, something that we do. Practically, because our society teaches us that. Every movie, every love song, mm-hmm. and society's rules create codependent models for us. Yeah. Because they keep telling us, like, you'll be complete when you have this this car or when you wear this makeup or have this these shoes. You know, you're incomplete without them. Mm-hmm. So everything's telling us we're incomplete beings. And so we seek somebody else to make us feel whole. That you complete me statement is so mm-hmm. um, persistent because it's the truth. You know, I mean, I remember... Um, there was a Nielsen song way back when. It was like, you know, I can't live if living was without you. Yeah. Oh, great. You're going to die? That's not very loving. <laughs> that's, the, that's, that's the mindset. I mean, again, love songs teaching us so many times that, you know, you, you are the, the reason I'm alive, all these yeah. stuff, and, which sounds, again, romantic, but unfortunately the romantic idea is distorted through the lens of codependency. Yeah. And we, we haven't learned to say women because of the way they were, they were um, provided for and didn't provide for themselves, were never taught how to live fully on their own. So mostly for women, they've been trained to be codependent because society didn't show show women any other way. Right. And have been less codependent in the world, but more codependent in relationships because they had none of the skills that women had. So they take care of themselves. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, most men, men, especially until the last maybe 20 years, most men didn't know how to cook in the kitchen. You know, they they couldn't sew with a damn. I'm grateful I got raised learning how to iron my own shirts. I still do. It's like, it's a, it's for me, it's a meditation, but yeah. most, most obviously boys and men didn't have that skill growing up. So they were, tr- they, they were forcibly codependent because they didn't learn skills for themselves until they had to. So mm-hmm. a society has not provided a teaching or a model for what I'm calling interdependence, because the truth is, well, she let me, let me put another piece on top of this up until again, 1960s, early seventies, Codependency was the way of life. And for women, that forced, I would say, say or that, that percolated the sexual revolution of the 60s. So sexual revolution, women's liberation movement is called, um, feminist movement, whatever you want to call it, same thing. It was happening. Women were getting their rights back, taking, you know, taking leadership, grabbing the reins, saying, my life, my way, doing things. And what happened was women in the 70s and 80s became independent. Again, starting to copy the men, being in business, so they had their own bank accounts, they had their own money, they had their own apartments, their own cars. They started to have a life of their own, but they did it through the lens of acting like men. Yeah. And so when it came to dating, it was a very independent thing. It's like, you know, who pays and who goes to back to whose place, that sort of stuff. It was very independent. It wasn't 
it wasn't codependent anymore, thank God, but mm. it wasn't perfect either. And right. the, the truth is, interdependence is the healthy way. When we both have our own space, but then we come together for things that work for us both. Mm-hmm. So the relationship is healthy, but both partners have their own places to restore, renew. Women know they have their sisters to call on, or they go to the, they go go dancing to have some fun. Mm-hmm. Men know they go with their, their their brothers and go play sports and do other things to go hiking to put back in their masculine. There's ways that we can mm-hmm. recharge our batteries, yeah. but that also is part of our life. So we can be interdependent when we're together, but not fixated on our own our own partner and anything else. Because yeah. again, men being being single focused. It's so tempting to just gaze in our partner's eyes forever, you know, without going anywhere. Mm-hmm. I did that. It doesn't work. And that just reminds me of, and now, of course, I'm forgetting the author, but it's a really, really, really famous book. And I can't remember it, but um, <laughs> he goes, okay. and I know, I, well, I listened to it on an audiobook because um, mm-hmm. a therapist friend of mine suggested that I listen to it on an audiobook because there were so many great meditations. But he talks about what's happening from zero to seven, seven to 14, and like the different stages of childhood, basically, and what's really going on with you and why you love the way you love. And it was just mind blowing. I listened to like all five hours in one day. I was like, I can't stop. I just can't stop. It was beautiful. But what, what you're saying is like when you idealize your partner, all you're really doing is what babies do when they look into their mother's eyes. They're just like, mom, yay. You know, they, that's all they see. And that's what we do to our partners. And that's just not fair. Like they cannot be your demigod. They just can't, you know? And so all of those similar feelings that we felt as babies, the serotonin, the dopamine, all of the bonding stuff is happening because you're falling in love and you're staring deeply into someone's eyes, literally, and then you're just like, but you're my new mommy now. Like, it's so crazy. So we, you know, when you understand kind of the chemical aspect of what's going on, at least logically, you can be like, okay, well, I know I feel a certain way, but like the brain also <laughs> says that this is kind of what's going on. So let me just like slow my roll. And I'll be okay. Well, that, that's the other piece is that, as I mentioned about the being printed from zero to seven years old is that we take on these patterns of how love is expressed through the filter of what we're watching our parents do. Mm-hmm. The problem with that is we're not aware we're doing it. Mm-hmm. Our conscious mind comes online around six, seven years old, which is the next age stage. But all that stuff that went in is now behind that locked door. So the conscious yeah. mind is choosing to view what comes through and goes, that fits, it doesn't fit. So it's now discerning what's right, what's wrong. But unfortunately, there's seven years of history behind that locked door that is still running the show which is why a lot of people when they're adults wonder why they keep repeating the patterns from their parents. And what happens is we tend to carry those patterns automatically into adulthood without realizing it's when we go on dating sites or dating apps or go out with somebody, we wonder why the same thing keeps showing up. Yeah. Well, for most of us, it's something we learned from our parents we never healed. Right. doesn't matter how good the parents' relationship was, if it was abandonment and abuse or if it was loyalty and long-term. I had a very codependent upbringing in my family. And I think I shared, um, I think I did share, I shared it again, basically it was, is my early dating life, every single relationship would end with an argument. Mm. Like we would argue and I quit. It was always the first argument and the only argument. Oh, and when geez. I found whatever else was going on is because my parents, to my memories, for my best I remember, they never, never argued in front of the kids. So for me, love and arguments didn't fit together. So oh, if there's wow. an argument, love must be gone. So I quit. I mean, very logical, mm-hmm. but not very conscious. And certainly not fun because they didn't have makeup sex or any of that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I can joke right. about it now, of course. <laughs> right, right. No, but it's scary when you're having your argument and you're just like, 
well, this person's a horrible person. I guess I'll just break up with them. I mean, it's really easy to do that and then just get back on an app. But the other thing too, that I always think is like, yeah, you can jump back on an app, but like, you're, like you said, you're just going to run into the same person. You're going to choose the same person over again. So spend a little time working on whatever it is, whether it's your stuff coming up or mm-hmm. it's, you know, stuff that's just relationship based, but it's, it's always each person's childhood stuff coming up and they're like, you know, <laughs> that's why, it you does, know, I forget who said this, but you know, it's such an important remembrance is that we do learn so much about ourselves when we are in relationship with others. We do. I mean, even this weekend, oh my gosh. So I've been single for a little while and I'm so happy and so content in my world. And like, everything (laughs) is just peachy. And my girlfriend came to spend the weekend with me and she's married. She's pregnant right now. And I was so not used to having anybody help me or do anything. And Mm -hmm. she was, she would just like do the dishes or she would like get to something before I could literally stand up to do it. And I was like, no, 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 you don't have to do anything. You know, and she was just being helpful. And I'm so used to carrying everything that it was like, oh, that's right. When you're in a nice partnership, you just do things for each other because you just are nice to one another. And like, that is simply what a relationship should be. We complicate it so much, but it's really just, why don't I be nice to you and you be nice to me and you just be thoughtful. And most likely we'll both get each other's needs met, you know, and it's good. That's the ideal until it gets to the point where the kitchen trash has to go out and the wife and the woman is expecting the man to take care of it. And he's oblivious to it. Mm-hmm. Well, oh gosh, that is such a whole podcast right there. That really is. Like, what are your chores? What are mine? What, are, what do you expect from me exactly? Like, what? Because right. my parents did it this way. And I'm not going to tell you what they did. I'm just going to expect you to know that that's the right way to do it. Like, yep. <laughs> so, so that was um, when you had your friend over. But the thing is, when you're in a relationship, for those people who are starting to get one, it's good to set up a framework where you're both on the same page. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, I'll take care of this. You know, how would you want to play um, this? What I love doing this, what I don't love doing. Does your, does your stuff fit mine? How does it work? You know, it's, well, yeah. it's okay to talk about stuff, even the nitty degree stuff, like taking the trash out. It sounds so simple, but I mean, relationships have ended because of this stuff. Oh, yes. Oh, <laughs> yes, 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 yes. No, it's true. Just having the groundwork is so important or like, and also I think being able to be flexible when Uh, situations arise like someone is hurt or they're sick and like maybe this isn't like a short sickness this is like a long-term thing things are going to shift and you might have been the guy who's like cool I get to take the trash out and I do these couple of tours and that's it and now it's like all on you that's really difficult to process so just being flexible in your relationship but anyway, let's go back to codependency and just talk yes. more about whatever you want to say. <laughs> <laughs> just talk all about the codependencies. <laughs> so, well, first of all, so as I said, codependency starts in parent in our families usually. So mm-hmm. for those of you who have not done any work yet, because many people have, but a lot of people haven't, it's worth looking back at your upbringing with, through, through that wonderful 2020 hindsight experience. You can just see what really happened. Mm-hmm. It was interesting. Um, I was talking to my, my brother recently, who's younger than me. And he left home after I did. And uh, we've been talking because my, my dad passed away recently um, after a long time. He was 95. It was a long time coming. So mm-hmm. it wasn't, it was sad, but not, not grief stricken. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've done a lot of work about my parents over the last 15, 20 years anyway. So I have a much healthier relationship with myself with them. But the thing is, mm-hmm. my brother was sharing stuff that he's not complete with mm-hmm. about things, views about my dad that I totally forgotten about because I'd already healed it. Yeah. And so that awareness 
it's interesting to see how he relates to the world is different from the way I relate to the world. So even though we're from the same family, if you, for me, it's like I've done, done not the work, but I've done enough work to see the world through a different lens. So I'm more accepting what it is and also being more at peace with what it is versus having that trigger response to things, which he still has. Mm -hmm. And so that recognition is for all of us is that we can do the work, whatever that work is for us, that heals those wounds inside. Because if we look back with 2020 vision at our parents and see them as human beings, not the gods that we thought they were when we were four years old, mm -hmm. but as human beings, and notice the patterns. You know, if you look back and never actually face the fact that maybe your dad was, I don't know, a workaholic, Mm -hmm. Or maybe he was always traveling, so you felt abandoned by him. Yeah. Or maybe your mother was always like stuffing her emotions and wasn't speaking her truth. Mm -hmm. When you start to become aware of those things, you instantly look, look at your own life and go, okay, so if that's happening there, is that true about me? Is there something about me I'm still doing based on that? Because yeah. if it is, you say, ah, I don't need to do that anymore. Yeah. I mean, I'm giving you the, the, the Cliff Notes version, but basically we can change that wiring. So we're not carrying that belief anymore. Right. We can be free. And that right. really does free up the codependency because codependency I've talked about these patterns that they do tend to be passed along. It's a, it's a behavioral hereditary pattern because I know my parents learned it from their parents and their parents beyond them because none of them were doing this work. Mm -hmm. I mean, truth is I'm the first generation in my family is doing this work, right. which isn't necessarily wonderful. It's just the fact is that I do want to keep doing the same patterns. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You're just healing. Um, I love the term that's been also going around is just ancestral trauma. You're healing ancestral yep. trauma. And when I think about that too, I think about just our DNA and how far we, how far that trauma has been passed down from yeah. generations and generations. Um, I do this thing called muscle testing. Have you heard of this? Mm -hmm. Okay. So my girlfriend is trained in it and she and I have been um, working on things with ancestral trauma with me. Apparently I have a lot of inherited trauma from my family. Ooh, and yeah. I, I was one of her first, you know, people that she's ever worked on that had so much inherited trauma and I'm not surprised and it's been interesting to release that, but also like what comes up and like what my, you know, the muscle testing is saying and, um, and to then talk to some of these family members, cause I don't actually have that much family left, but to talk to them and sort of, um, I have an old book that was put together of my, um, uh, my last name is Brubaker. So it's like of our Swiss family mm -hmm. and it was incredible to start reading it and start correlating some of the ancestral trauma that I'm going through and what happened to them. And mm -hmm. one of the strangest things too, and this just goes to show you, like you're carrying DNA from people that you never, ever met and you're trying right. to heal it in this lifetime. Um, one of the things that I've always wanted to do is get my doctorate. I've always wanted to be Dr. Brubaker. And mm -hmm. I knew that we had some doctors and some scientists in like the immediate family but it went all the way back to like five generations. Like we've only been doctors. And I'm like, well, no wonder I want that name because it's <laughs> my family. Like that's all they were. But like, you're either a scientist or you're a doctor. You probably have your doctorate if you're a scientist. <laughs> so you're gonna <laughs> have that title. <laughs> and it was something very deep in me that was really following me around since I was like in high school. I'm like, I wanna be a doctor, I wanna be a doctor, but not like a medical doctor. I always thought I would be a psychologist. And so right. I would be Dr. Brubaker. And <laughs> it just, when I finally was able to like release that, it was so empowering because I'm like, I don't actually want to go to school and do that. Like I love school and I would go to school for the rest of my life, but I didn't want to <laughs> do it, do it. Um, right. I love the way that I do the podcast and I do it in just life, but it was so 
interesting what we are carrying, whether we remember it or we don't, it is in us. So if you are in this lifetime and you're, you know, like I need to do the quote, the work, which is true. However, you know, that vibrates for you, like do the work, look in your past, look at your parents, grandparents, great parents, great, great, great grandparents, if you can, and see what's going on for them, because chances are there is some kind of ripple effect that has affected you. And it's just, you know, you're, I don't know if you really look for me, like I'm such a hippie, but like, if you want to like really release that karma, you can, (laughs) and you can help them. And they're probably like, their souls are just like, thank you. I appreciate that. There is something poetic about being the, the end of the line saying, okay, that paradigm stops here. I'm going to change it. I actually am the end of my line, by the way. Literally, I am the end of the Brubaker line for the two brothers that came here from Switzerland. I'm the last. So technically, I am really healing some (laughs) stuff for them. (laughs) So you're thank thank you. You're welcome. (laughs) Yeah. Well, my my niece is the last in our line. So because I'm gonna and kids, my brother has one daughter. So yeah, she's she's the the last of the line, so to speak, at this point. Yeah. Whatever that's worth. Although the thing is, I know my I mean, thing is, my heritage is interesting because I'm third generation English. And my dad changed his last name before he got married. So I'm only the first generation, I'm only third generation English. And the, my dad, I'm the first generation born with my last name. Okay. My dad changed his name before he got married. And the thing is, because my, my history was Europe, is Eastern European Jewish. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot, there's a lot there's, I'm actually definitely a member of the tribe, the MOTs as we call us. And basically there's, I have three of the main houses in my, in my history. Wow. I've got Levy and Cohen and, and Solomons, which translate back to the, the, the original families. Oh, wow. And it's interesting because growing up in England and growing up after, well, I say third generation, some of my great grandparents came over from Eastern Europe and my grandparents and my parents were born in England. There was a shame about the name. Mm. He changed the name to Selby as a way, which is a town in Yorkshire, was a choice to although he denied it when I confronted him with it. I was going through a lot of healing and family and stuff in my, my master's program that I said, it seems like, cause the name changed a few times in the lineage, you know, mother's mother's name, name different from grandparents, mother, father's, my father's mother's maiden name different from her parents. Like it changed several times. Mm-hmm. I said, it seemed like we were trying to avoid the lineage, like just to hide the Jewishness from her family, from the world. Yeah. And he denied that of course, but I'm like, yeah, but I don't think differently. My dad's name before Selby was Solomon's. Yeah. Which is not a bad name, just that it's no. very clearly Jewish. Mm-hmm. But my my grandmother's name on that side was uh, Lewis, which translate which came over from Levy traditionally. Mm-hmm. My mother's name is Carson, it came from Cohen. So all these names are in the family. Yeah. But recognizing that there was a pattern in there. And it's funny what came up to me um yesterday morning, I was thinking about it, is that I almost want to go back to one of those names to like drop the even though because because the name I was born with, but it's not my it's not my lineage in that name, just like yeah. Even though I know, ultimately, I don't have to worry about any of that stuff, really. It's really superfluous. Mm-hmm. It's about the truth of who I feel I am. That's and cool. that's, that's the thing about lineage for me is that I, you know, having my book published and part of that is that leaving a, leaving a lasting mark in the world that's positive. Mm-hmm. You know, I've, I've, got, I've got over a thousand videos on YouTube, which isn't like a major mark, but it's still a lot of teachings, which I feel will live beyond me, which is kind of like, okay, I'm leaving my mark. I'm, I'm making my, my, my yeah. stand in the world, so to speak. Yeah, no, I think about that too. I really have thought about that a lot recently too. Just you are leaving a mark that will last forever. And we're so different than any of the past generations because you're able to let it live on the internet forever. 
Um, and it's just uh, so cool. I have loved talking to you and you're going to be so back because I just <laughs> think you're great. So <laughs> so easy to talk to you. You're great to have a conversation with someone. Uh, likewise. Um, tell people how they can find you. And also all of your information will be in the show notes, but for Wonderful. people listening, how Certainly. can they find you? So um, I made it easy for most, for most people rather than having fancy branding, just my name. So if you go to my website, it's my name, which is barrysovey.com. You can find most of my stuff's on my website. Um, it's been revamped, but it's not quite where I want it to be. So you can find your way around it, but it'll be pretty soon. Okay. <laughs> um, but on social media, um, I use Barry Serby on every platform. So LinkedIn, Twitter, Pinterest, Clubhouse, um, on, on um, Instagram. It got changed because my account got hacked. So now the real Barry Selby, because that's the real one on Instagram. Okay. Um, YouTube is Barry Selby. We said there's over a thousand videos today. If you want to watch my stuff for free, just go to youtube.com slash Barry Selby. And on Facebook, I'm Barry Selby. On my business page is Barry Selby, the author, because I wrote a book. Perfect. <laughs> I love the book. I want to read the book now. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Barry. This has been awesome. And you're going to be back, as I've said, like 15 times, just to really, really drive it home. <laughs> okay, I'll, make, I'll come plan my calendar accordingly. Okay. But thank you, Jacqueline, for having me on the podcast. It's been a lot, of com- a lot of fun chatting, catching up. So thank you for this. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. Remember, sharing is caring. Make sure to rate the podcast and leave a review. We really rely on this to help get the podcast out there. Also, make sure to watch the video version on YouTube at That Girl the Podcast.